Go ahead and pull out your Bibles. Pull out something to take notes with this morning. You guys ready to hear from the Word of God? Hmm. Is it just me or has church been good this morning? Amen. I need some water. Go ahead and open up your Bibles to Romans chapter 6. Turn to your neighbor and say, I'm glad I'm sitting next to you. Good, good. Make sure your neighbor has something to take notes with. People who don't take notes aren't allowed in church. I heard, no, it's not true. But you want them to take notes this morning. Um, I'm pretty wound up this morning, so I'll probably mean, that probably means I'll talk real loud and have a lot of fun. So are you ready for that? Awesome. I'm, I'm excited. We've got our College Station friends here. They get me fired up because they're crazy. So we're going to have a good time. And this morning, you can write at the top of your page our complicated title for this morning's message, Baptism. We're going to talk about baptism this morning. So we're going to talk about lots of Bible we're going to build lots of faith, and we're going to talk about a whole lot of truth this morning. Does anybody have an appetite for any of those things? Awesome. We believe church is a participation sport, and it's not only during worship, so let's talk to each other. Amen? So we're going to jump right in. Can we just go in full bore this morning? Correct. Because I want to start off our time this morning talking about baptism with a core truth that I want to discuss briefly on the front end to kind of help set the stage for how we're going to talk about baptism and what baptism really is all about. So to kind of set the stage this morning, I want to write this. I want you to write this down in your notes. Um, it's, it's a little long, but I think it'll be on the screen, so you'll be all right. I want you to write this down in your notes. God is simple. <laughs> you can repeat it, Chris. You, write, it, write it down. You can repeat it, but make sure you write it. God is simple, but he's not shallow. He's deep, but he's not complicated. God is simple, but he's not shallow. God is deep, but he's not complicated. Are you quiet because you're thinking or because it doesn't make sense? The idea... That God is complicated. I think that this is a common idea that a lot of people have because God's really big and God's really deep. But that doesn't mean that he has to be complicated. And when we start talking about baptism, this is something that at times becomes something complicated. But I want to talk about God first because if you were here last week, we talked about living on mission, right? And we said that before living on mission has anything to do with where you are or what you're doing, it has everything to do with what you believe about God. And that's true just about your life in general. Before your life has anything to do with where you are or what you're doing, it has everything to do with what do you believe about God. That's always the right place to start when you're trying to work something through. That was for free. I wasn't even in the notes, but that's a good one, and nobody wrote it down. But if you're looking for something, if you're looking for a way to navigate a situation, start with what do you believe about God. So this idea, this truth that God is simple, but he's not shallow, he's deep, but he's not complicated is what I want to start with this morning. And the idea that God is complicated, I believe that the idea that God is complicated comes from, comes from religion. It comes from this concept of religion, and that's kind of a big, loaded word. So I'm going to give you a definition of religion as I'm talking about it this morning. Are you ready with your notes right off the bat? I'm making you write furiously. Religion. Religion, when I say religion, what I mean is that religion is the idea that, that right standing with God comes by man's merit and not God's grace. Religion, that's what I kind of mean. The concept, the thought, the, the mindset, the activity, the perspective, that your right standing with God comes by your own merit and not by the grace of God. And so the idea that God is complicated comes from, comes from religion, this, this thing that, that we have 
called religion. And, and I don't know what you think about religion or, or, or what, but, but I think that us humans are suckers for religion. I think we're suckers for it because we have this uncanny propensity to try to make ourselves earn what God has given us and accomplish what God has completed. You ever notice that about you? I've noticed that about me. Un- it's uncanny. And when we do this, when we try to earn something that God has given us, when we try to accomplish something that God has already completed, we make him complicated. We make it complicated when it really should be pretty, pretty simple. And when we introduce this religion to God's grace, we complicate things. And then when things are complicated, we think God is complicated, but God's not complicated. Our religion made him complicated. So if you're anything like me, I know that, that you have a really hard time trying to wrap your mind around the infinitely simple and eternally deep truth that God loves you. That God loves you. And, like, I guess we could say to make it better, but to make it kind of worse for our own minds. The reason why God loves you is because he does. God loves you because he does. There's nothing you can do about it. Whether you like it or not, whether you want it or not, whether you reciprocate it or not, God loves you, and he loves you just because he does. It's not up to you. He loves you. His love for you is that simple. Somebody say simple. His love for you is that simple, and it's so deep. It's that simple, but it's so deep that he wants you to spend all of eternity absolutely engulfed in his presence so he can continually for all of eternity show you who he is and help you understand who he is, help you know what he's like. And in so doing, in so understanding more of who he is, you will realize that this God that's so big, that's so good, that's so mighty, that's so eternal, that created you and knows everything about you, loves you. It's that simple. And it's that deep. He loves you. He's simple, but he's not shallow. He's deep, but he's not complicated. How many of you uh, who are Jesus followers in the room have ever been baptized? By show of hands. Okay, a lot of people. A lot of people have been baptized. How many of you have ever seen somebody be baptized? In church or wherever? In college, we used to do baptisms in in our uh, pickup truck beds uh, outside of houses. It was fun. So how many of you would say right off the top of your head that you can think of a time where you heard like some really like decent teaching about what does the Bible really teach about baptism? Yeah, like about 4% of everybody else who raised their hands. I had a suspicion because I realized that that's kind of true for me. I haven't really heard even a whole lot of teaching about, about baptism like I do it. I've been baptized, I've baptized lots of people, and I know that what I believe about baptism is true, but when it comes to, like, standing up in front of you and, like, let's preach a message, it was like, oh, I need, I don't, I, like, I know, but, yeah, let's, go, let's dig into the Bible on this. What does this say? Because I, I had a feeling that, that not a whole lot of people have heard really good teaching, kind of like I, I have. And the reason that I wanted to start with setting this perspective about God being, what, simple but not shallow being deep but not complicated. The reason I wanted to set the stage is that I think that for a lot of people, for a lot of us maybe in this room, baptism has slipped into one of two camps. That baptism is is one of those things that people either see as simple and shallow, simple and shallow, like, okay, great, it's like pretty simple. You you know, you become a Christian, they put you in some water, it's like an outward sign that everyone believes. Okay, yeah, it's great. No big deal. It's simple and it's shallow or it's deep and complicated. Like, 
okay, how long have you been a Christian? Have you put enough time on you about to do this? Like, well, if I got like a little bit wet, but not all the way wet, does it count? Like, am I in? Am I out? Do I have to be, do, do I have to be saved to get do it baptized? Or does, does getting baptized save me? Like, it gets deep and it gets complicated. It's either simple and shallow or it's deep and it's complicated. But I believe that God this morning through his word wants to teach us that baptism is neither simple and shallow nor deep and complicated, but that his command to us, his command to us to be baptized is a lot like him. It's simple, but it's not shallow. It's deep, but it's not complicated. I want to talk to you about the simplicity and the depth of baptism this morning. Jesus' simple command to be baptized is not a religious ritual. It's an invitation to encounter the power of God. This is what baptism is all about. Can we dig into the Bible this morning? Are at least 80% of you with me still? Awesome. Are at least 50% of you in Romans chapter 6? Awesome. We're not there. We're going to get there yet, but we're going to work our way there. So in Romans chapter 6, uh, we're going to read that in, in a little bit, but we're in, in Romans chapter 6, we're in the greater book of Romans in, in the Bible. So uh, this, this letter, or this, the book of Romans, it was a letter that a guy named Paul wrote to the church in Rome, to all these Roman believers, and then God has given it to us has, as his very word. So by virtue of us being in Romans chapter 6, you're all smart people, and I would imagine that by now you could infer that there, before chapter 6, there are five other chapters. Wow. You're, sharp. Yeah. you're sharp. It's simple, but it's not complicated, right? So I'm sure that you've inferred that, that there's five other chapters before chapter 6. And to understand chapter 6, I think we need to understand chapters 1 through 5. So I'm going to try to give you the best context setting I can do of five chapters in the shortest amount of time possible. So you ready for it? Can we do that? Um, sometimes I don't know how this goes when I do this. I feel like, I don't know. We'll, we'll see. We'll, we'll have fun with it, right? So starting in chapters 1 and 2 of the book in, Roman, in the book of Romans, Paul is, is writing and he's setting the stage. And in chapters 1 and 2 of Romans, we essentially kind of what you get out of the first two chapters is a picture of God, of who God is and, and what he's like in the way that you understand after Romans chapters 1 and 2 that one, God is good. I said, God is good. I said, God is good. Somebody said amen. See, that's really good news. We could stop there, but we're God is really good, and, and he's, he's not just good, but he's a righteous judge. He's a judge, and he's good, which is awesome, right? But then you also get out of Romans chapters 1 and 2 that God is a good, righteous judge, but we are storing up his wrath for ourselves because our hearts are hard. And when he reveals his righteousness, it's to be poured out on us. Buzzkill. Yeah. <laughs> we were having fun till just now. So we can summarize Romans chapters 1 and 2 here in, in uh, verse 4. Because, but before we get there, verse 4, this is funny because I know that I've done this. Us church people like part of this verse. We like to say that God's kindness leads us to repentance. Amen, brother, right? But if you finish the thought, it's a little more scary than that. Romans chapter 2, verses 4 and 5 says this. Or do you presume by the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? But because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. Summary, Romans chapters 1 and 2. Very intense. So we keep reading, right? Because maybe there's some good news in here. So we go from Romans chapters 1 and 2, and let's go on to, to chapter 3. Because chapter 3 has another verse that, uh, that Christians like to use and church people like to use. And it's a great verse. There's a whole lot of truth in it. But... 
like God's kindness leads us to repentance is not the whole thought that's being communicated. It's true, but it's not the whole thought. That'll work. This, this verse in Romans chapter 3 that, that we like to capture is also totally true, but it's not the whole thought. And the, the, the verse that I'm talking about is Romans 3, 23. It says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Sounds a lot like Romans chapter 2. We have all fallen short of the glory of God. So, so far, there's a whole lot of bad news in Romans, right? Or is it just me? Whole, whole lot of bad news in Romans. But if you finish the thought of Romans chapter 3, 23, then, then, then you actually start to get some good news. And somebody says, yes. Because Romans chapter 3, verse 23 is actually only one clause that's part of like a three-clause sentence that's actually part of a much bigger paragraph because there's always more to the story. So we're going to start reading now, and we'll catch up to Romans 3.23, but we're going to start in verse 21. It says this. We'll start with our verse in chapter 2. But because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. But now, Romans 3.21, the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, and here comes our verse, for all, have, uh, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and, somebody say and, and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in His divine forbearance He had passed over the former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just, right? Because he's a good judge, right? So that he might be just, but he doesn't end there. And the justifier. We should stop there. We should, that's awesome news. And he's not only just, but he is also the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. We get some good news in Romans chapter 3. Romans chapters 4 and 5, right after chapter 3, they just start running with this whole faith idea. At the very end of that, what we talked about, it says it's received by faith in Jesus. And then we get two solid chapters of just like the amazing gift of faith. And what happens when we step in by faith into Jesus and what he gives us, what's available to us in the kingdom of God. Because faith is, is good news, if you didn't know that. So we're going to read a few verses in Romans chapter 5 now to understand kind of the whole story. Are we doing okay? Okay, so here we go. Summary. Because of your heart and impenitent heart, you're storing up wrath for yourselves in the day of wrath when God's righteousness, righteous judgment will be revealed. We'll summarize chapter 3. But now righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. It was, shown, it was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Let's talk about this faith. By faith, therefore, Romans chapter 5, since we have been justified by the justifier... Not by your own work, but by the justifier. Amen. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also. It's like he gives you access to God and then there's an and also. Like, who is this? Through him we have also obtained access by faith into his grace. Somebody said grace. In which we stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only that. Not only that. Here we go. 
Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been, say has been, poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. He has been given to us. Romans chapters 1 through 5, they're setting the stage that, that God is really good. And we're far apart from him. And what we don't need is to be better people. And what we can't be is better people. What we need to be is Jesus people. And Jesus does it. This is the stage of Romans chapter 6. This is where we meet Romans chapter 6 and what God wants to share with us. So Romans chapters 1 through 5, God is sharing the gospel with us, the good news of the grace of God. And we come to Romans chapter 6, and now God has been explaining salvation to us, but now he begins to shift his focus to not just explain what salvation is, but explain how we live it. Because how many of you know God doesn't just want you to get saved, he wants you to live saved? Ha <laughs> ha! If that's news, that's good news. Amen. See, God isn't theoretical. God's not just far off up in the clouds with a bunch of philosophical stuff. He wants to get up into your life and set you free and teach you to live the life he saved you for. And once you just get saved, he wants to teach you to live saved. So now we've got the grace of God, Romans 1 through 5. He no longer determines our righteousness by our own actions, but instead by his own character as the justifier. And in chapter 6, after explaining this grace, he shifts his focus to now I want, you to, I want to teach you how to live what I've purchased for you by my grace. And he starts chapter 6 with a question. And if we can be honest, he absolutely nails us with this question because he knew that all of us, he knew that all of us would ask this question um, because not only do we have things, a tendency to make things complicated, but sometimes we have a tendency to totally miss the point. Amen? Like, just, we just do that sometimes. Um, I'm going to stay focused. Okay. Romans chapter 6, verse 1, he asks this question, what shall we say then? How do we respond to these five chapters? Are we to continue in sin that, may, that grace may abound? See, this is funny about God, because God knows something about you, and he knows something about me. God knows that uh, you're either going to be a teenager, you are a teenager, or you've been a teenager. And he knew that after all this business about grace, and now your righteousness, your right standing with me is no longer according to your own behavior. It's absolutely just and completely by my character that you receive by faith as a gift. You get my character as the justifier. Our first question would be, so now I just get to do whatever I want and there's no consequences? Nobody else has been a teenager. <laughs> okay, God, at least, okay, God knows that about me. That after I got all this news, my first question would be, so, sounds like a license to do whatever I want. So we hear all this news, and this is our first question. Uh, but that question captures the simplicity of grace, but it totally misses the depth of grace. Okay. He calls it grace and we don't want to miss the depth of grace because like I said God doesn't want you just to get saved by grace he wants you to live saved by grace it's as simple 
as that, but it's deeper than we have any idea. So he takes the next 10 verses of Romans chapter 6 to take us into what does it mean to live out this grace, live out this salvation. And sort of seemingly out of the blue, he brings up baptism. I, I, knew, I told you we'd get there. He starts talking about baptism, and he, and he paints this picture that baptism is not just this religious ritual, but it's a testimony to the power of Jesus. He says that Romans chapter 1 through 5, you're storing up wrath for yourself, but I'm giving you grace by faith. I'm justifying you so that you have peace with me, and so that you can be filled with the Holy Spirit. And then we ask, so should I just run around aimlessly and sin, not really worry about anything because it's all taken care of? But Jesus tells us through his word in verse 2, by no means. How can we who have died to sin still live in it? How can we who have died to sin still live in it? This is his answer to our question of, so we just do whatever? He's like, no, 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 no. I'm not just saying you can do it. I'm saying you're dead to it. You're dead to it. And he goes on, starting in verse 3 of Romans chapter 6. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. This is crazy. For if we have been united with him in a death like this, we shall certainly... Certainly be united with him in a resurrection like this. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to, what's that word? Nothing. Nothing. So that we should no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. Sounds like our Revelation verse at the beginning. For the death he died, he died to sin once for But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Wow. Wow. That's amazing. It's like super deep. So if it's intimidating, just realize it's simple. God loves you, and he loves you because he does, and he saved you by grace, amen? And he starts talking about baptism. He starts talking about baptism. It's so interesting that he doesn't say, because of all of this, now here's baptism, and here's this weird thing you should do where you jump in the water, and he explains all the things. He just kind of runs with a lot of assumptions, like, you know what baptism is, you know you should be baptized, and who he's talking to, he said, we all who have been baptized, so apparently all these people have been baptized, he's just kind of jumping on the train of like, we do this baptism thing, but here's what happens when you do it. I want to let you know what is the impact of baptism. What he's not saying here, he doesn't make the claim here that, that by baptism you are saved. He's saying you're saved and you got baptized. And baptism doesn't earn your salvation. He's explaining it that it doesn't earn your salvation, but it is an act of salvation. It doesn't get you access to God. It's just kind of a response to getting access to God. It's a physical response to the spiritual reality of the grace of God touching your life and washing everything away. It's like a wedding ring. Do I have any wedding or married people in the room? Any wedding people? Anybody got a wedding ring on this morning? Me? Okay. 
So we can relate baptism maybe to a wedding ring. We can relate it to a wedding ring. Like putting on a wedding ring doesn't make you married, right? Sorry. (laughs) Still, yeah. Putting on a wedding ring doesn't make you married. But if you're married, you wear a wedding ring, right? It doesn't make you married, but it's what married people do. make a joke but (laughs) that worked though right (laughs) you got it (laughs) so baptism is like this wedding ring because in in salvation you are unified with jesus and his death and his resurrection you are covenanted to him right You're, you're covenanted to him and and this is like this is like what marriage is for us and the bible says that marriage is just an illustration of jesus's covenant with us so that's why we can make this this correlation here that that Baptism is like a wedding ring because salvation is kind of like a wedding. Salvation is kind of like a wedding. You, you become covenanted to Jesus, you know. So you're at this, you're at this uh, wedding. You're in it. You're getting married, and, and this happens. You say, do you, do you take this for me? Do you take this woman to be your wife? I do. Okay, great. So now with this ring, I commit to this marriage, right? Like it doesn't make me married, but I'm committing to this marriage. It marks me in this marriage. I wear it around because I'm marked, Right? It marks me in this marriage. I'm committing to this marriage. I'm considering myself married. I'm not just married. I'm considering myself married. So we come to Jesus. Sort of similar. Do you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord? I do. Saved. Right? Do you take this woman? Yes. Married. Do you give your life to Jesus? Yes. Saved. Now, with this baptism. With this baptism, be buried with him in his death. Be buried with him in his death and be raised with him in his resurrection. Live in the victory that Jesus has bought for you. Now consider yourself dead to sin and alive to Christ Jesus. You're marked. You're marked. Putting on a ring doesn't make you married, but putting on a ring is what married people do. And getting baptized doesn't save you, but it's what saved people do. It's what saved people do. It's not a religious requirement. It's a grace-filled invitation. The grace-filled invitation from the living God to be partnered with Jesus in his death. It says it right here. It's, it's fascinating. Be, be partnered with Jesus in his death that conquered and prayed, paid the price for your sin. It's amazing. That God is telling us that when, when you go under the water, like, you're not literally, but yeah, literally. You know, like, isn't that the kingdom thing? Like, you're not doing it, but you are. Like, it's real, but it's not. Like, you believe it by faith because it's real, but you can't see it. You tracking with me here? So when you go under the water, he's saying you're buried with him in his death. Like you are going into the death of Jesus that conquered all sin, that heals every disease, that brings victory in every situation, that gives you right standing with God. You are going into his death. Amazing. I'm not saying I get it all, but it's simple. Like it's simple because he says it, so it's true. And it's deep, so I don't get it. So you're going and you're buried with him in his death. You're immersed in his pure and powerful blood that washes you white as snow. And when you come out, you're partnered with him in the resurrection that gives you new life. You're buried and you're brought out. There's these words in Romans chapter 6 that blow my mind. Two words right next to each other, just as. I'm shocked at how often these words are used and the context within which they are used in the Bible. Like Jesus, he's, he's about to go be crucified. He's talking to his disciples, and he's praying for them to the Father. And he says, uh, Father, just as you sent me, I'm sending them. That's a big claim. 
Like, do you realize how Jesus was sent? And then he says this, just as, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. You didn't get a resurrection like Jesus. You got the resurrection of Jesus. I've got a friend who says it this way. I've said it here before. Maybe you've heard it. But he says, Jesus didn't come to give you a better relationship with God. He came to give you his relationship with God. <laughs> Amen. And all of this is good news. <laughs> I said, all of this is good news. Anybody saved in the room? All of this is good news. But I don't want us to miss something more. Do you know God is the God of more? Don't miss verse 11. It, it, it can kind of trail off here because that's what you do when you read. You get quieter at the end, you know. You get quieter at the end. You kind of trail off because it's 11 verses. It's a lot. We've read a lot of verses this morning. But let's not miss verse 11. Look at your neighbor and say, don't miss it. Don't miss verse 11. Where God, uh, he, so verse, chapters 1 through 5, he's explaining this gospel. And in chapter 6, he, 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 he kind of hits us right over the head with the power of baptism. And in verse 11, he, he, he hits us with this Thing that's kind for him to do by answering this question that we should have in our hearts now. We've got this good news. We've been baptized into this amazing thing. So what do we do now? <laughs> so what do we do now? So he answers this question in verse, verse 11. This is one of my favorite verses in the whole Bible. I, I genuinely mean that. One of my favorite verses in the whole Bible. And if we complicate it with religion, we miss the whole thing. If we complicate it with religion, we miss the whole thing. But if we read it through grace, this changes everything. This changes everything. I want you to read verses 11, verse 11 with me. So what do we do now? You also must consider yourself dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. You also must consider yourself dead to sin and alive in Christ Jesus. As a baptized follower of Jesus, I want to tell you something. That there is no sin in this world that has power over your life. That's one of those things that it ought to send us into a tornado praise break. But we don't really believe it because it's hard because it doesn't match up with our experience. And we have this tendency to complicate things. And when God says you've been buried and raised, you're dead to sin and alive to God. We look at that simple thing and we make it complicated because I would beg to differ based on my experience. We can complicate it. But I want to tell you that there is no sin in this world that has power over you as a baptized Jesus follower. I want you to know that this morning. There's no sin that has the power to define you. Come on. There's no sin that has the power to define you. There's no sin that has the power to control you. And there's no sin that has the power to make you choose it. There is no sin that has power over you. Verses 6 and 7 says this crazy, simple, deep truth. We know, do you? That our old self was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be brought to that the body of sin might be brought to. Nothing. That the body of sin might be brought to. Nothing. That your past might be brought to. Nothing. That your choices may be brought to. Nothing. That your weakness may be brought to. Nothing. That your bad decisions may, bad, may be brought to. That your, that, that your inability to follow this whole thing out might be brought to. Nothing. 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 
nothing, comma, instead of a period. Okay, I'm dizzy, but hit me again. So that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. 2 Corinthians 5.21, it says that Jesus became sin for you so that you could become the righteousness of God. Don't complicate it with religion. It's true. It's just true. Like whether you like it or not, it's true. Like it's done. Jesus did it. God's grace doesn't just forgive your sin, and it doesn't just change you from a sinner to a sinner saved by grace. This is where I start feeling like I'm stepping on toes, but it's so good for all of us, and I need my toes stepped on by Jesus. <laughs> you're not just a sinner, and you're not just a sinner saved by grace. You were a sinner, then you got saved by grace, and now you're a saint by calling. That's what my Bible says. Nowhere in the Bible does it say, okay, well, you're still a sinner. It's just a good thing you got grace now. He said, no, I transformed you. I made you new. The old has passed away. The new has come. You're not a sinner saved by grace. You were a sinner that got saved by grace. Now you're a saint. By calling, by calling, because Jesus looks at you and he calls you a saint. So even when you sin, it doesn't make you a sinner. It makes you a saint who doesn't know what he's doing. So you just get to repent and turn around and let the Holy Spirit teach you how to do it right next time. Instead of wallowing it and be defeated. It doesn't matter what you call yourself. It matters what God calls you. My son Smith, if he runs up to you and he calls you daddy, how many of you know that doesn't make him your son? <laughs> he can call someone else's daddy. He can go over to someone else's house. He can eat someone else's food, and I hope he does. <laughs> but it's not his behavior that makes me, that makes him my son. It's not his choices that make him my son. It's his blood that makes him my son. Too often, we're waiting on another breakthrough from God to get us set free from sin. We're waiting for God for another miracle to set us free. We're waiting on an encounter to set us free. We're spending too much time considering how big and bad the devil is and how big and scary and intimidating our sin is. And God says, your problem is not that I won't do something for you. It's that you're not considering what I've already done for you. Consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God. In Christ Jesus. Death is defeated. Sin is forgiven. And you have been raised to new life. Do you consider this true? So you must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Stop believing sin has power over you. Regardless of what your experience has told you, it doesn't. Jesus said so. And he's the king, so. Because if you think you're a sinner, then of course you're going to sin. Because you're a sinner, and that's what sinners do. Sinners sin. That's why they're called sinners. But you're not a sinner. You're a saint. And as a saint, you don't have to live your life trying not to sin. You get to live your life consumed with Jesus. And when that sin comes knocking on your door that's telling you I have power over you, that's telling you you have to choose me, that's telling you, oh, just do it again because you might as well do it. You're going to do it the next time anyway, so you might as well do it this time too. And you did it last time and the time before that, and this is who you are. When that sin comes knocking on your door that got shut by the name of Jesus, and he comes knocking on your door and he's calling in your name, you are a saint and you get to walk up to it and look it dead in the eye. You don't even have to be scared. 
You have to look at that thing dead in the eye and say, no, thanks, I'm good. Yeah. That's not me anymore. Shut the door and move on because of Jesus. It's simple, but it's not shallow. It's deep, but it's not complicated. We finish up, and lest you think that this is all about positive self-talk, I don't want you to miss a very small but very key word in verse 11 of Romans chapter 6 that changes everything. So you... Somebody? So you also, so you also must consider yourself dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. What's the big deal about this also? It means something that I want you to know this morning, that because that also is there, there's already someone who considers you dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. So you might as well also, because he already does. Next week, we're doing baptisms. When we do baptism, we don't really do them silently, and it's definitely not going to be orderly. <laughs> definitely. Definitely not. We're not even having child care. They're all going to be in here. Uh, somebody's bringing like 20 people from their family and all their kids, so it's just going to be crazy. But that's how we do it. We do it loud, we do it enthusiastically, and we do it full of faith because we are witnessing people choosing to step into the grace of God, leave their old life behind, leave sin and death behind, and be partnered with Jesus in his death and resurrection. And I think that's something we're celebrating. And we are committing, we are watching them commit, not just to the truth that I'm going to follow Jesus, but I'm going to consider myself dead to sin. I'm going to live a life believing the truth that God already believes about me. So I'm going to tell you real practically, real quick, how this is going to go down, just so you're prepared. Can we do it? And we got our friends from College Station here. We used to do baptisms all the time down in College Station when I was there. So it's like worked out perfectly. So we're going to do a demo baptism. How's that sound? College Station people, you ready for this? Show them how we do it around here, okay? So I'm going to have my boy Cade come up here. He's amazing. I taught him everything he knows about lifting weights. That's not true at all. So what's going to happen here, and the band, y'all can come up because we're going to worship and we're going to celebrate Jesus before we get out of here. Amen? Yeah. Come on, somebody. So we're going to have a tub up here. It's going to be somewhere. I don't know where, and there's going to be water in it. Okay? So there's going to be a tub up here, and somebody's going to come up and get baptized, somebody like Caden. He's going to come, and he's going to stand up here, and he's going to take about a minute or two or maybe three, uh, depending on well, you know, what happens. And he's going to share just a little bit of why he wants to get baptized. Tell you a little bit about what his life was like before Jesus. And he's going to tell you about what happened when he met Jesus and what life has been like since. Because baptism, it's not just a personal thing. Like, like it matters for him, but we all get to celebrate together, right? So they're going to stand up here and they're going to bring you into the story of Jesus in their life real briefly. And it's going to be really fun. Then they're going to get in the tub, wherever it is. And, um, and, and the band, they'll probably be playing because it's always better with music, right? And music fans. Okay, cool. Then, then we'll have them play behind us. It'll be fun. So then Cade's going to get in this tub, and, and somebody's going to ask him. We're going to say, Cade, do you, have you committed to follow Jesus every day for the rest of your life? Yes. Awesome. And then we're going to say, so I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. We're going to take him. We're going to put him all the way under the water so that he goes all the way in that grave. Somebody? Yes. And then we're going to not keep him down there for three days. We're going to pull him right back out, and we're going to wash Watch the water run off his body. We're going to watch as sin and death get left behind. We're going to watch as it happens, and we're going to celebrate. 
We're going to celebrate and then we're going to pray for him. But not like in our seats. Like I watched the NBA Finals a few months ago. There's no reason they should be going crazier than us. Come on, don't make me go for it. So this is how it's going to go. Okay, so College Station people, how do we do this? Okay, you're going to show us what happens when Cade gets baptized. Y'all don't, don't disappoint me on this one. We didn't practice this. So, Cade, do you want to follow Jesus every day for the rest of your life? Yes, sir. Okay, then I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. <laughs> Jesus, we bless Cade, and we thank you for his life. We pray that you'd fill him with the Holy Spirit. We believe in who he is and who you've called him to be. We ask that you give him power to consider himself dead to sin and alive in Christ Jesus. And everybody said, amen. Amen. I want you to stand up to your feet as we close this morning. Everybody, go ahead and stand up to your feet. Come ready to celebrate next week because we're going to celebrate people because this isn't a show. This is family, and it matters because sin is brutal, and life far from God is brutal, and being empty is brutal, but Jesus is good. Jesus is good, and he's come into our life, and he's set us free by his grace, and he's given us a faith not by anything we've earned, but because not only is he just, but he is the justifier. And he gives us this opportunity to step into an encounter with God that changes everything. Not just for you, but for the people around you. We're going to sing a song as we end called Living Hope. We did it a few weeks ago. And it's, and it's just this part in it that I like. And it says, out of the darkness came the roaring lion. And I like that. That Jesus is a roaring lion. Defeating death. We're going to have some people off to the side. If you need to pray this morning for any reason in your life, we'd love to pray with you before we go. If you're here this morning and you haven't decided to follow Jesus, you've never stepped into his grace, please do it before you leave. Just talk to somebody. Talk to the person you came or somebody off to the side. Come and get me. Today's a great day to be saved by the grace of God. Amen? Jesus, we love you so much, and we celebrate who you are this morning. We thank you for your grace and your power. We thank you for baptism, this thing that you have given to us, not as an obligation, but as an opportunity. And we thank you for the opportunity to celebrate next week. Would you fill us with the Holy Spirit this morning? In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's worship together.